Welcome back to Questions You Never Thought to Ask, the Whitewater Kayaking Podcast, episode 29. I'm your host, Seth Ashworth, and this week I am joined by um, the man behind probably what is currently one of the most famous kayaking aerial shots of all time. And unless you've been living under a rock in the last few weeks, uh, you will have seen it. It was in New York Times. It was in, uh, I don't know, everywhere on the internet, I feel like, of uh, Dane Jackson running uh, 130-foot first descent in uh, Chile. And today we're speaking to the pilot of said drone, uh, Rafa from Flow Motion Aerials. Welcome to the program. Hey, Seth. Thank you very much, man. Pleasure to be here. Um, Rafa, that was a pretty incredible drone shot. Um, and I th- I think it would make the most sense for everyone uh who hasn't seen it? I'm going to link it in the in the notes below. But I think it's it would make the most sense for me to or for you to explain to us a bit more about yourself and how you came to be uh, a drone OG. And then we'll talk about that this one instance in particular after that. So you want to give us your like your origin story? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, let's go. Let's backtrack all the way back to ten years ago ish, where I just started kayaking basically. Uh, so I've been boating for about a decade, and uh, just five years down the road, basically, I um, dislocated my shoulder for the first time on the Little White Salmon, training for the race, and I re-dislocated again in New Zealand, and then I was pretty, uh, I was pretty banged up, sitting on the couch in pain, arm in a sling. And I was trying to brainstorm for a way to stay outside, stay with the homies, keep uh, keep being close to the river, basically. And then I was like, oh, I'm just going to go and do some photos and do some more videos because I had done quite a bit of that with the Quebec Connection homies back in, uh, back in Quebec. So um, I uh, grabbed the camera and went and tried to get a few photos on the Kaituna. And I couldn't really hold the camera, basically. And I came back home like, well, that did not work out at all. I can't even hold a camera right now. That's a bummer. And then I'm not sure. I think it was Mike Reader's idea. Mike Reader was like, hey, how about you just fly your camera instead? You can just hold on to a small controller and then you can just use a drone and fly your cameras around and uh, then you won't need your arm anymore. So uh, there was a bit of an eureka moment. And then I ended up buying a a small toy drone, kind of self-taught how to fly, uh, chasing those poor goats, uh, the, poor, <laughs> the, poor, the poor New Zealand sheeps um, around. And then, um, yeah, and then it was just a kind of a classic sort of um, stepping the game up story where I just kept, kept training, kept training, and then kept upgrading the equipment. And then, uh, yeah, about, you know, four years Later, four or five years later, uh, here I am flying all around the world doing some uh, pretty fun work with incredible athletes and, uh, and companies, causes, and whatnot. And uh, this, this project with Dane was uh, no exception. At this point in our conversation, Rafa actually had to temporarily pause our conversation because uh, he had another phone call coming in from his surgeon. Uh, I guess the week before we recorded, he had actually broken his forearm in a snowmobile accident uh, and he was having surgery the the day after we spoke. So in this kind of wait time or the the natural wait time, I guess you could call it, of uh, 
between one question and another, I would like to take a second to thank the people uh, who support this podcast on Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding platform where you can chip in uh, a few dollars every month to help keep the keep the lights turned on for this podcast and keep it happening. You also get early access to the podcast. So it's a really great uh, community of people there right now that help keep this podcast alive. And I really couldn't do it without them. If you're interested in checking that out, go check out patreon.com slash Seth Ashworth. Uh, or I'll leave the description in the notes below. Thanks again to those Patreon subscribers. And yeah, let's get back to it. So we've kind of skipped a couple of steps here. Uh, at the end of your last answer, you said like you now you're working with a bunch of uh, athletes and companies and, uh, you know, drone flying. But can we rewind a couple of steps here? Like, how did you go from, you know, just hanging out by the river, being the drone guy to having a company that does drone flying uh, with Red Bull athletes? Yeah, that is a super good question. And it was quite quite the challenge, actually. Um, I would say for the first for the first year or two, all I really wanted was to keep filming, just kayaking, and just be the that drone guy by the river. <laughs> uh, but truly, um, it was it was my friend Mike McKay who was telling me, dude, the biggest challenge for you right now that you're facing, you might not even know it, but the biggest challenge is to break out of the kayaking world and to become like a well-rounded uh, like aerial drone cinematographer, basically. Yeah. And 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 to be honest, that was that was pretty tricky. But I would say it's really word of mouth, you know. And then word of mouth only really happens if you're actually doing a great job. Like you need to be super reliable, professional. It's so many little things of of like so many little habits that you need to create and build for yourself that end up creating a whole as a professional, you know, anything, a professional athlete, a professional filmmaker, professional drone pilot. Um, so it was, it was really focusing on those little things. Like it, English is my second language. So even writing emails for quite a while was, was a big challenge because it would take me hours to write emails all the time just because I really wanted to put in the effort and make sure it was well-written and it had decent syntax and, uh, you know, wasn't wasn't just a cowboy email sort of thing. So that's just one of the many examples. But yeah, I would say like having to really up up your game in every single aspect of 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 like of that career, basically, whether it's communication, leadership, uh, also the technical side of drone filming, um, anything and everything. And then once you do that, then people do start you know spreading the word around, and then all of a sudden you're you're a kayaker and you're filming a bunch of kayaking and rafting like river sort of content, but then the word will go and cross over to the ski scene or will cross over to, um, I don't know, anything really like the local sort of could be real estate. It could be golf scene. I just got a, a sweet golf gig. Um, wow. So it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of random, but I think really the, the, the long story short, it really is to just, hone in on your skills and your uh and your professionalism and make sure that everything is kept really really tight i guess it's really interesting that you say that it's a lot of like improve building a lot of small habits to make your overall picture much better because that's something i've been considering a lot lately with with even with people's kayaking is you you have to be in good lots and lots and lots of small things have to be going right for you all the time 
to be a good, well-rounded kayaker. And it's interesting to hear you say that about business because um, I guess it, it must apply to other other parts of life, not just kayaking, um, mm-hmm. that are like, you know, building these small habits all the time to, you know, to make sure you've got enough gas before you go drive shuttle so that you don't run out of gas on the on the way back from the river or whatever. Like it's lots of lots and lots of little things I've been considering lately that um, I guess it must apply more broadly than I I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I have a good um, I have a good quote that I got from a a book called Atomic Habits that I read recently. Um, it goes like this: You don't rise to the level of your goals, but you fall to the level of your systems. And that was said by James Clear, the author. Um, that's quite a powerful quote, and really, it 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 vibes with what we're talking about so much, where you really have to hone in on your systems, hone in on all the little things in order to start really providing high quality, uh, reliable, you know, content or services. Yeah, it's, um, it's so, it's so applicable for us too, right? Cause we've all got those friends who seem to always forget their spray skirt, the fucking put in and you're like, well, it's always the same person. Like every time, almost every time, right? Like, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it, it's interesting how that translates to the, the bigger picture and how you've started your business. Now, um, we were talking about upgrading equipment here and, and for people who don't know drones, like now the space is very open and easy to get into. And it's, if you've got 500 bucks, you could buy a drone and, and start flying drones and it's really fun. Um, what is the, the one thing that people who are interested in drone flying should know from you, a professional outdoor drone pilot? Um, let's see. Really, I would, I would say, I would say if you're really into getting some beautiful shots and getting some more challenging shots, it's you got to consider drone flying just like any sport, basically, where, where you have to remain aware that when you start, you are going to be, you're going to be a goof, like you're going to be a beater and it's normal and it's totally fine. And you just have to put in a lot of time, lots of efforts and lots of, uh, lots of hours before being able to, uh, to be able to fly, you know, smooth and tight lines, and it's just like hacking, really. Before you're able to style some some really technical lines that involve lots of um, like lots of complex moves in a row, basically that require a good timing and all that jazz. Um, so, I mean, I would say get into it. Don't spend too much money because you're most likely gonna have some misadventures with that first drone. <laughs> <laughs> so um, get 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 one like you know sub thousand dollars or so and uh, go play around and really go like don't go too fast because then you'll get reminded just like in kayaking if you go too fast if you go beyond your uh, your skill set you get slapped in the face so uh, it'll be the same thing with uh, with drone filming but definitely worth uh, uh, the investment because the views and the the content we can produce is just so stunning it's it's really it's really amazing to be uh on a regular basis filming and seeing the directors the producers or even myself or the camera operator or the athletes uh reactions to to some of those shots where it just is is a mind-blowing you know moment and that's really why i try to uh, to strive for yeah, I mean, I think, especially in some of the stuff you do, I've seen so many incredible shots where I'm like, wow, that, like, 
it makes me stop and go, wow. And it could be a place that I've been like 10 or 20 or 30 times, especially um, in Quebec. Some of the stuff I've seen from, from your channel is like, I've been, I've been in that spot. Like I, I've been the person in the picture, but it doesn't look as cool where I'm sitting as it does from the drone sometimes, which is, um, which is crazy to think of. Um, so let's kind of fast forward back to the present here. Um, you know, you, you've got a, a thriving drone company now and you presumably get approached by Dane directly or by Red Bull directly to go do this first ascent um, project with Dane. What, what was what was that like? Talk us through talk us through what it's like to be a camera person on a secret first ascent mission. Yeah. Um, so basically, Dane Dane is the one who hit me up directly. Um, we have filmed together a bunch. We've probably paddled a few runs together as well in the past, and um, just Dane hit me up and he was like, "Okay, I have this this waterfall I want to go do in Chile, and really, it seems like the best, most ideal location for an FPV drone to uh, to be able to get this shot that you've probably thought about. I've been thinking about. Um, so, so are you in? Like, do you want to do it? Sort of thing. And then um, he put me in touch with Corey, Corey Rich and his team at Novice Select. And they, um, they are a uh, production, mostly adventure, adventure, like filmmaking production company in, uh, based in Tahoe. And uh, when I got in touch with them, then we started talking about, you know, the whole sort of nitty gritty sides of everything where we're talking, you know, more like tech side of what we're going to be filming, what cameras we're going to be using, all that jazz. After a few phone meetings, uh, the whole crew together, including Dane, we uh, we decided to pull the trigger and uh, book our flights to Chile and everything. So to be honest, showing up there, uh, you know, I don't know much. I have no idea where it is, where we're going. I just know that I had to be on that plane for uh, <laughs> on that one flight coming out of Vancouver. And uh, when we got there, we were welcomed by Lorenzo, Lorenzo uh, Astorga. And wow, it was amazing to have someone from Chile who lives close by uh, picking us up and driving us to location because he he knew so much about the whole place. He knew so much about the waterfall because he has been the one who had been um going to uh, to the waterfall to check out the water level and making sure everything was okay, giving us a bit of a, a scoop on, on location, the access points, uh, the conditions, all that jazz. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just I just showed up and my mind was blown right away as soon as we landed, met up with Corey, uh, Bly, and, and uh, Lorenzo. And just to put a quick pause on the story here, um, mm-hmm. you mentioned an FPV drone, which uh, I'm familiar with, but some of the people listening will not be familiar with. Uh, can you run us through the difference between that and like a, a drone you'd buy at Walmart or a, like a prosumer drone? Yeah, great question. Great question. So we're all used to these, um, you know, these prosumer drones, the DJI style drones. And what really makes them uh, accessible for, for the masses is that they're very automated. They, are, they can fly up and they can stay in a, uh, they can stay in a location. Basically, they have a barometer. They have GPS connections. Um, so basically, they are not changing altitudes. They are staying at a certain altitude, and they're also not drifting left and right because they are hooked with um, hooked on the satellite systems. Um, that being said, these drones are pretty limited because all of a sudden you cannot really 
you can't really um, how to say you can't really tilt the drone. No, yeah, you like to say it. <laughs> you can't. You can't. Uh, I'm going to say it for you. You can't move in as many axes as you should be able to in a three dimensional space. Does that does that make sense? Is that a fair uh, representation? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So to have to have all those sensors, they have to uh, to come in with a bit of a limitation, and that's basically the the drone movements are pretty are pretty limited. Whereas when you fly FPV drone, and FPV stands for first person view, um, which basically just means that you're flying the drone from a pair of goggles and you're not looking at it with your bare eyes. So when you're flying FPV drones, the drone itself is fully manual. There is nothing that's, it doesn't know its altitude. It doesn't know uh, if it's going down or up. It doesn't know if it's, uh, it doesn't have any satellite connections. So it's not, it doesn't know if it's drifting or anything. But that also means that we can have full rain on uh, on the angles of the drone, basically, and also on the throttle input. So basically, if ever I am at 100 meters up in the air and decide to free fall, I can literally just cut off the throttle completely, and then I can keep the drone angle pointing straight down uh, at a 90-degree angle, and then the drone will be slicing down the air uh, in a free fall, basically. So those drones are much harder to fly because of their uh, their manual nature but they also once you start you know getting getting a hold of it then you can really create uh, some some stunning shots and since only fpv drones are able to free fall uh, that's that's what that's why it was the tool for the job for this shot specifically and so for this for this shot specifically let's hop back to our chile story here how many practice flights did you do before you did the real thing? Yeah, well, do you want to know with the uh, simulator included or without? <laughs> okay, well, let's put, what, what's a no, simulator? Like how, how many, uh, you know, how, uh, yeah, like from the point you got there, like how many times did you have to fly that before you were like, okay, Dane, hop in your kayak, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, it, it all really started on the computer back here in uh, Squamish, BC, where uh, maybe a week or so before heading to Chile, I, I just plugged in the controller, the, the remote control thing, to, uh, to the computer and then started flying in the simulator just to see the physics, see different kind of shots I could find. So I just found myself a, a map, basically, with a big crane, and I pretended the crane was the waterfall, the vertical the vertical uh, part of the crane was the waterfall, and that the horizontal part of the crane was the uh, like the rock cliff, basically um, uh, around the waterfall. So then I was trying a bunch of different moves, trying really to uh, to figure out what looks good, what doesn't, sort of thing, what is easily uh, um, reproducible, and what is kind of a harder flight path that I can't really guarantee to to nail every time. So I spent, I don't know, I probably have done it maybe like. 50 times or so in the simulator. Uh, and then I had a bunch of different shots as well, but I figured that that one is really, for some reason, I really, really loved that one. I thought it was a, a safer shot. It's something I can really do most of the time. Uh, I, can also, I can also see Dane's approach from that angle. There's quite a few moves, quite a few uh, points to that, to that shot that uh, made me choose it, basically. And then uh, once we got to Chile, the very first evening, basically, as soon as we got to the airport, we just drove five or six hours uh, to the waterfall where we met Dane. And then I uh, put the drone up in the air and started flying the, the course. 
and it was a lot more wind obviously than the uh than in the simulator because there's just no wind in there so uh that was that was adding a pretty good uh, a pretty good complexity level but anyways lots of wind and still managed to get a few of those different shots i had in mind um and maybe practice that one the, the one specific one a dozen times or so and then i uh, was feeling really good about it so came back came back home came back to our little um uh, our little house afterwards and then we uh we basically i basically presented the different shots i had in mind that i had been able to fly well uh, during that little training session so presented that to the whole crew see what they thought if there was one that they liked more than the other and then uh everybody was set on the same one i had i had uh, practiced mostly on the simulator and in uh, and in real life so then uh once i knew which shot i wanted to do then I started re-watching the footage to be able to really understand the timing because timing is the hardest part. Um, it's, it's by far the hardest part for any kind of waterfall drone shots. Um, you know, it's a very, it's, it's, yeah, it's a very different axis. The first, the cacker is coming towards, towards the lip, but then starts falling down and accelerates extremely fast. So uh, keeping a good timing is super tricky. So basically, we just rewatched the footage. I must have watched it, I don't know, like a hundred times at least. <laughs> and just rewatched it and rewatched it and really to pick exactly where will Dane have to be on the approach when I start the free falling move, basically, in order to really be able to keep him in the frame, but not all, but also not have him too far away um, in the shot. So then, uh, yeah, I just I just like watched it all night, and then the next morning I was in the car. We were driving there; it was about an hour drive, and I remember just keep watching it on my phone, uh, closing my eyes, trying to visualize the whole thing <laughs> over and over again. Um, and was that was that like a very stressful time for you? Because there's a lot riding on this. There's a lot of other people in play, um, you know, in the production crew and Dane. Like, and he's only going to do it one time. Like, <laughs> how did that pressure like sit on you? Yeah, it was it was definitely a little stressful for sure. It reminded me of uh, of my own waterfall career, really. <laughs> I, but, I can't um... even I can't imagine because I know from myself when I'm going to do something that's challenging, I'm like, yeah, okay, well. It's just down to me, and if I do, I do it, and if I don't do it, I don't do it. But normally, it's not, like, down to me, and, you know, what I do is, like, hinging on the success of, of the project, you know? It's, it's <laughs> a lot. Yeah, totally. There was, definitely, there was definitely a little bit of nerves around on my end. Um, but, but just because of, visualize, of, of being able to visualize the shot really well, and that, and that kind of comes from being able to visualize my line going down a rapid. That's really where I did most of my sort of like training and, and learning how to visualize a move. Um, so just because I had done it in my head so many times already, I felt quite confident that I could, you know, just copy paste what I've been doing in my head to, uh, <laughs> to reality, basically. Um, and, but I was definitely a little it, stressed for sure. It, it, I mean, it panned out. Obviously, vis visualization uh, techniques paid off because the the shot is the the most incredible drone kayak shot that probably has ever been recorded, in my opinion, or at least <laughs> that I've seen. And I've seen a lot of kayak videos, and that one is it. it it's difficult to describe with words how amazing it is. It's just so perfect, and you fly through the mist at the end, and it's like, 
what did I just watch? You know, you have to watch <laughs> it again and again and again. And it's I it's so infrequent that I see something that I'm like, what did I just see? I, I have to see that again. And I think that's awesome. And I think it makes a lot more people see that and be like, whoa, what what's kayaking? Like, what's that all about? And that, you know, it helps pique interest in the sport. And that I think is good for good for everyone. Um, yeah. So I think really what you've done is a service to come in, in your own way. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Definitely got some incredible feedback from, uh, from that shot. And truly like the, my, that's, that's what I'm doing this for really. Like I just, I just love drone flying because it gives this, it kind of renders this, this, this image in 3d in your brain because you're flying through space and then when you mix that with athletic performances uh especially you know on the very top end like that was it's it's just a yeah it's just a moment that people get so so inspired so mind blown and that usually that that little that little wow moment uh can be so powerful that it literally can change lives it can literally make people super inspired to get get into kayaking get into the sport or just uh do some more filming or just share what they've been up to or there's so many so many positive things to uh to awe basically yeah i think uh it's so easy in our cultures dave people just shit on social media and it really it makes me upset because it's those moments of like wow that that's like the whole the whole function of why we have instagram and youtube and like why all those platforms exist and it's so easy to like look at the low hanging fruit, the bad stuff. But those those good moments make it all make all the bad stuff, you know, easily easily outweigh all the bad stuff. Um, and I think it's valuable. And I I hope that other people see that too, and, and people are excited by it. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. That's so true. Cool, Rafa. I think that's a great place to leave it. I had some other funny questions about how many drones you've crashed by I, I, I think you know you've said all, all I've, i think we've we've covered everything i wanted to cover really um how can people follow you on on the gram and on uh on the other socials where, where can they find you at yeah they can find me uh at flow motion aerials flow like the river flow yep. yeah roger that that's uh that's how they can find you you're on all the platforms Rafa, it's been great to talk to you and uh, anything else you want to say before we sign this off? No, not so much. I mean, thanks for having me. That was great. And I uh, hope we can do that again at some point. Great. <laughs> All right. That's uh, questions you ever thought to ask. Episode 29. See you again. Awesome. Cheers, Seth. See ya. Thanks for listening, everyone. I really appreciate all of you. Uh, If you want to help me out, it would be uh, awesome if you could subscribe to the podcast if you aren't already. Leave a a rating, write a review. That stuff really helps me, helps us get more people hearing this podcast. Tell a friend about it, of course. And if you want to help support it, then it's on Patreon, patreon.com slash Seth Ashworth. And I will see you or not see you, I'll speak to you, or you'll listen to me speak to someone in the next episode. Peace.